Hello and welcome to the first episode of Cam and Rue Start a Book Club. Rue, you have a podcast! Yay! <laughs> Did you ever imagine you would have a podcast? No. So you are a pretty tech-enabled mom. You probably don't imagine yourself that way. Do you want to disclose your age? Yeah, I will be 67 in August. <laughs> so for a long time now, you have been using iPads, iPhones, iMacs, the whole Apple ecosystem. Yes. <laughs> and you've really moved pretty quickly um, from not knowing anything about those devices to using them for recipes, um, cooking, reading books all day, which is another reason we have decided to make this podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining me. I had a couple reasons for wanting to create this podcast with you. The first one is I know that we're going to have a lot of fun working on this project together. Uh, we are both creative kind of artist people and I remember you working on a lot of art when I was younger. And so I'm thinking that this might be a fun project, a fun way for you to bring some more creative abilities to your everyday. And I love reading. You do love reading. We both love reading. Um, I know when I was a kid, I remember the library being one of my favorite places. Uh, I do specifically remember we would spend the weekends at the library. We went to the donut shop first thing. We walked from the house to the donut shop. And you had a set thing that you liked to eat, you and your brother, Long John's and chocolate milk. And then we'd walk a block over to the library and spend the day Saturday, every Saturday. And lug home our books that we chose throughout the day and then read them at home. Next Saturday, we'd do it all again. Yeah. Those were the best times, and I remember being in the library. The great thing about being there was creating a stack of books to take home, but also knowing that we would spend so much time there that I could read books while I was there in the library. So I yep. had two stacks. I had a stack that I would read while we were there for the day, and then I had a stack that I knew I was going to take home for that week. Yep. It was fun. <laughs> and we got to know the librarians really well. Um, I think also we've had some really interesting conversations in the last year and books present opportunities to talk about things you normally don't. I think our relationship is one that I really value and that is different from a lot of the child-parent relationships that I see with my friends. Um, obviously we are very, very different people and we had different upbringings, but we have a lot in common too and I think that you and I have worked very hard on creating a good, healthy relationship that's really built in honest communication with one another. Well, that's because I love you unconditionally. <laughs> and I love you as well. And I, again, just want to say thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I'm very proud of the relationship we built together, and I hope that it inspires others to do so in their own relationships, even if they do find them hard at times. Um, you know, for you and I, I really struggled as a young child um, at growing into myself and being honest about who I was and feeling like I could come out to you as a gay person. And so that was a, a big part of the tension in our relationship when I was young. And I'm curious to see how that 
experience that you and I have, what kind of parallels we see in the books that we read, and the many successes that we can kind of celebrate in ourselves from the stories as they grow. The mother-child relationship is worth the effort you have to put into it. That's very true. That is very true. I think that's something that is so unique about your and my relationship is it's something that didn't occur maybe in a day. I think sometimes children and parents kind of take for granted the relationships that they have, that they're built by blood and not necessarily by work. But I, I really think that your relationship to me and my relationship to you has been teamwork and that we put a lot of effort into each other because we love each other and we choose each other. So. Thank you not only for choosing this podcast, but thank you for choosing me too. Well, I don't see that as a choice. That's just motherhood. Well, it could have been a choice, and it is a choice for many people. So thank you again. Um, Should we talk a little bit about the format of our podcast, what we'll be doing, um, maybe a schedule of books? Sure. All right, so I think we're gonna do, I think when we last talked about this, we agreed we wanted to do one book a month, even though we're big readers. Mm -hmm. This is all new to us, so really understanding what it means to create a podcast and the schedule that comes with it and the technical issues that come out of that. Um, I think we both agreed we could commit to one book a month, one episode a month. We'll discuss kind of the highs and the lows and how these stories resemble our own lives or the lives of those around us. Um, If you're listening, feel free to read along with us. So we will always tell you what um, the next book will be. So this first episode, it's too late to join us, but feel free to um, read the book after and let us know your thoughts and comments and reviews. We would love to hear your feedback. Um, Our next book will be... Running with Sherman by Christopher McDougall. How a rescue donkey inspired a ragtag gang of runners to enter the craziest race in America. (laughs) That sounds like... True story. (laughs) That sounds like it will be a lot of fun to read. And also, I think that is a book about a runner, right? And I enjoy running. I run as much as I can. I really love running. So that'll be an extra treat for me. Do we want to talk a little bit about the kinds of books we think we'll be reading? I think you and I are both kind of interested in self-growth and um, also this book in particular. So the book that we're talking about today is What's Mine and Yours by Naima Coster. This is our first time reading anything by Naima. Um, but I get the sense, Rue, <clears throat> I get the sense that perhaps these characters faced a little more challenge in their lives than you would have preferred. Yeah, I don't like these people (laughs) in this book. But I do think we need to read books. I'm interested in other cultures and how they live their lives and, and particularly in how they live over here in America if they come over here to live. So, I mean, there are a lot of books out there currently that I find very interesting dealing with other cultures. Yeah, I think you and I both read 
uh, a wide gambit of genres and a variety mm-hmm. of kinds of books. So I don't necessarily think anything's off the table. We are working on creating a six-month schedule of books that we'll be publishing. So if you do become a fan of our podcast, A, thank you so much for listening in, but also we would love to provide you guys a list of the books that we plan to read. And if you think there is a good book that's a good fit for us, let us know. We would love to hear it. Yep. All right, so let's jump into Naima's book, What's Mine and Yours? And I've got a quick question for you. This is one that we're going to revisit at the end of this podcast. But did you like the book? No. <laughs> okay, and tell me tell me why you didn't like the because book. Because it's uncomfortable. Because they don't fit my idea of motherhood and what a mother should be. So these characters definitely have a lot of strife and challenge in their lives. That's very true. And I would say, for me, that was something that I found really enjoyable about the book. Let's give a quick synopsis for what we've read, um, what's mine and yours. Um, When a county initiative in North Carolina draws students from a mostly black high school across town to a nearly all-white high school, a community rises in outrage. The story begins in 1992 and takes us all the way to 2020. So this story spans almost 30 years. There's a lot that we could dig into here. I think if we kind of lay out a framework for jumping into maybe some of the characters first, and then we can talk about what some of the themes of the book were. And then lastly, I think we should probably hit on the writing style. So again, this is our first book with Naima Coster, kind of talking about what we thought about her writing style. Does that sound good? Yes. All right, so let's jump into these characters. At the center of the story are two families, each headed by strong-willed mothers struggling to connect with their children. For almost 30 years, single black mother Jade and her son G are still dealing with the death of Jade's ex-boyfriend Ray, which occurs very early on. That's in chapter one of the book. How would you describe a character like Jade Rue? I didn't like Jade. As when Ray was alive, he did most of the parenting. He took care of all the practical matters, and she just did what she wanted to. She'd come home when she wanted to. She'd go off to some bar with her friends and come home drunk. I didn't like her. Well, that's true. Jade definitely was a very young mother. I forget what age she was when she actually gave birth. Um, but she was, she was a kid when she was, when G was a kid, she was a kid. Yep. Um, so I think that is something really notable about her start as a mother. She didn't have an easy start. She didn't really take what we would consider traditionally the right steps as a a mother or even just a young mother. Well, Um, she didn't have a mother. I mean, she had a mother, but not a mother in the sense that I think of as a mother. Yeah. She was very indifferent to Jade. She was not supportive. She didn't have any boundaries that I could tell from what little she said about her. So you have to have a mother to know how to mother. Yeah, and I think when we first meet Jade, she hasn't really settled on the kind of mother she wants to be, maybe hasn't really thought about what kind of mothers exist. Um, As we go through the course of the book, though, I think you obviously see she takes on a new role. After Ray's death, she definitely buckles up. She had to. She starts to run a tight ship, and she becomes a much more involved mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would challenge to say that that really creates a, a strong, clear 
relationship between her and her son G. Um, but definitely she is guiding the ship. She had missteps along the way. They they weren't close at all. He was closer to the older lady Lynette, who was um, a friend of Ray's, and she had to rely on her quite a bit. Yeah. How do you think overall G's relationship to Jade transformed from where we first saw them in chapter one to the very end of the book? I think he did a a 180. I mean, he went from not really feeling loved by her to the very end, I guess he did feel some kind of welcome from her. That's the best I can say. <laughs> yeah, I think this is an interesting relationship in the book in that we spend almost 30 years with them feeling disconnected from one another, not being clear about what their expectations really were about each other, not necessarily seeing the sacrifices that are being made in the relationship or the hurt that's in the relationship. And it's not until the end of the book that you really start to see the two of them clearly communicate to one another who they are and why they are the way that they are. Right. Hmm. Interesting. So on the other side of the book, we have Lacey May. She's struggling to provide for her daughters almost entirely, I think, throughout the, the book. That's a, a financial struggle for Lacey May and um, taking care of her daughters. She's got three of them, Noelle, Margarita, and Diane. How would you describe a character like Lacey May? What stands out to you? She was a single mom, essentially, because Robbie was in prison. Robbie is her husband. husband. And she had no idea how to take care of herself and those girls. I mean, there are programs out there to help people in her situation. She didn't do any of that. She went next door to ask Ruth for a, a loan. She offered to clean her yard or something right before winter, which didn't go over well, and she didn't get her loan. But she didn't do... Anything, any of the things that I think she should have done, instead, she did the one thing I never would have done as a mother. I do think that is a central theme that we see with Lacey May, that it's a little too late by the time she realizes what's happening around her and that she kind of, I hesitate to say, connects to reality. Um, I I think she lives in her own reality for sure throughout mm -hmm. the entirety of the book. But you can definitely tell that she does not see the situations clearly that she's in. Um, and to your point, she didn't necessarily see what trouble she was in with her little girls um, and taking care of them and how desperate things were getting. Um, especially while Robbie in that early onset of the book, while Robbie was in prison, um, she kept waiting for him to come save the day. Yeah, she sent him all her money. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking care of those girls. A mother puts the children first. That's a mother. Well, I do think in America, we also have this idea, and there's disagreements on whether it exists or not, but we have this idea of the American dream. 
and a lot of people see themselves fitting into that in different ways but one of those is not seeking out help um, and kind of the idea of buckling up and finding your own path. I think there are a lot of people in our lives that we've seen that needed help, could have asked for help, but chose not to ask for help. So how do you think that relates to Lacey May, who clearly is in a situation where she needs help but isn't asking for it in the right way? I think she's clueless. She wasn't even looking at her situation in a realistic way. When you are faced with raising children by yourself, you have to ask for help. You don't have the, the luxury of not asking for help. But I didn't see her making any kind of decision like that, so I don't like her. <laughs> well, and we should note, you are a single mother. You've always been a single mother, at least as, as far back as I can remember. So you probably had a very, you faced similar challenges that Lacey May faces. And... The main challenge is exactly the same. I went a different route. I went back to college, finished my degree because I knew I would have to, do, to support you and your brother by myself. So I didn't accept help from the government. I didn't need to. I had a job and I worked for what we had. That's what I mean when I say you don't have the luxury of not asking for help. I don't mean you have to go get on welfare. Welfare can lock you in, but it would have been better than the choice she made, in my opinion. Hmm. Well, we do see Lacey may make a choice, and she ultimately does find a way to provide for her daughters. Maybe not the best way, but she does find a way. Um, how do her relationships with her daughters transform from that decision on? Well, that decision hurt her relationship with all three of those girls because they loved their father. And what they saw was her supplanting their father with some guy that she wasn't married to. She was not divorced. She just went, took her girls and went to live with them. That hurt their relationship to, in the beginning. Hmm. And they were young, so yeah. it was not a good time to do that to them. Yeah, they were very close to Robbie, mm -hmm. um, but they, I don't think, had a true understanding of what was happening. No, kids don't Yeah, in those situations, and they shouldn't have to. There is a point, though, in the book where you see each of them realize what's happening in their relationship with their father, Robbie, and the kind of person that he is and the disappointment that can come from having a father like that. Right. Do you think there are any similarities in the motivations between Jade and Lacey May and how they parent their children? Well, there's a basic similarity in that they, you know, each one has a child that they're responsible for. But Jade's is from a whole different perspective because she's up against more than just financial difficulties. She's up against racism in America. Yeah. And the fear for her child and how can he make his way and be safe in this world. So a little, they come from the sort of the same place, but very different drastic things that can happen to them. Yeah. I think what's interesting just to what you're saying there is the societal view for what you would stereotypically see for 
the two women, these two women in their it's positions different. is different. But also you would expect that Jade would be the less attentive, less structurally sound mother. But in this book, Jade is the more buckled down, has her head on her shoulders, knows where the future is kind of mother. And it's Lacey May that is kind of tumbling into situation after situation. Jade is more practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which surprises me because she wasn't practical at all when Ray was alive. <laughs> yeah. She did a lot of growing up. She had to. Yeah. So Naima Coster, there were, she had an interview, and she briefly kind of talked about Lacey May in particular. She was asked whether she liked Lacey May, and Naima says no. <laughs> and to quote her, she said uh, specifically, I'll say that I understand her, and I will also say that I have tenderness for parts of her. She's a lonely and alienated character, and I feel for her in those respects. But it doesn't mean that we condone her actions or are even interested in redeeming her. What do you think about that? That's true. That's exactly how I feel about her, too. I know that she was in a hard place being married to an addict. There's just not much way that they can come out of that in a whole way. And he didn't seem to be really serious about coming out of that. So yeah. in that respect, I felt sorry for her, but I don't like her. Yeah, I would agree with that. A big question mark for me after reading this book is the upbringing of, of both women and how they came to be the people that they are. We meet them very young, and they're young mothers, but you don't get much in terms of understanding what their childhood was like, what their family relationships were. Really, their family relationships are the their children. They don't, they don't have much support beyond... You, you certainly don't get much information about Lacey May's uh, life before she married Robbie. Yeah. Jade, you had just a brief glimpse, but Lacey May, no. Yeah. Those are just some question marks that were left for me at the end of the book. So I think this takes us into probably my favorite section of the podcast, but what themes throughout the book really have stood out to you? You've kind of touched on a couple, but let's talk generally about a list. So motherhood, definitely, definitely. familial relationships, whether they're parent to child or child to child, brother sister to sister, um, racism, the integration problem. School um, integration. School integration. Um, addiction and how that affects a family. On top of that, I would add um, divorce. There's the subject of divorce in the book, the idea of women's rights and the struggles that women particularly face. And there are subcategories within women's rights, right? So um, white women's rights, black women's rights, kind of the, the racism that's blended in there and the challenges that come from your unique race and gender. Gay rights uh, and fertility issues, I thought that was a really interesting component of the book. I forgot about that. I think that one um, is not, there are a couple that we won't have a ton of time to really sort through, but um, I really did appreciate that fertility issue 
being in the book. I think that's just from talking to the women in my life, my friends. This is an issue that a lot of women face and don't always talk about, and there is a miscarriage in the book. I think that is something a lot of readers could relate to or would at least be happy that there's a conversation about. So there's a lot in this book that I think people can kind of relate to and explore in their own way. Um, and I think just in line with the pandemic, we've obviously explored almost all of these themes as a, a society in America. It's definitely culture in America. Definitely culture in America. These, I think, are many of the problems that Americans have faced, not even before the pandemic, but throughout the entirety of the pandemic. The pandemic's really kind of magnified these challenges that we face. Yep. So let's jump into probably the biggest theme in the book, racism. And I just want to ask what moments of racism really stood out to you? The meeting that the school had for parents of both sides in the integration, forced integration issue. Also, when G was attacked in the school, the fact that their parents all went to the same church, so it brings Christianity into it as well, yeah. to my mind. And I don't like that they were on the bad side of that. <laughs> For me, there were a lot of moments that really stood out to me and that I keep thinking back to. The school meeting in particular, I think, is the first. Um, the first obvious, really true moment of racism in the book. That meeting, I think, is interesting in that it was a meeting meant for celebrating and kind of talking about the process of integration. Not even talking about the process. They were there to welcome the new students. That was the purpose of that meeting. And what it became was an argument about whether it was appropriate to integrate or not. The decision had already been made. The plans were already in place. Um, it, again, not the time to really start to argue and squabble about these children. They're even kind of in line in a row in seats at the very front of the auditorium. And so they're watching their parents on both sides um, come up to a microphone and advocate for or against the integration. Uh, which I think is just something that really has, will stay with me from this book. The idea that parents have their own motivation and don't always see the reality that the, their children are seeing. So I thought that was a really interesting scene where the children are up front viewing a, a much different scene from how the parents are interacting in that room. Not only that, but it went from an argument to forming a group that would take drastic actions that even impacted directly the kids in the school. Yeah, so I think no surprise to our listeners, but um, Jade is at the microphone. She's advocating for the integration. She's really kind of explaining why G, her son, is there. She says, we haven't had our lives handed to us like some of the people in this room, but for my son, it's a change in his fate and his fate has been changed more than once and not for the better, and none of that was his fault. I think that's a really interesting part of that whole narrative, that whole scene uh, where Jade starts to touch on the idea of white privilege. It's not something that is made super obvious in that scene, but it is where you're invited to kind of explore or think on the idea of white privilege. I think it is obvious in Lacey May's reaction to that because she comes 
at Jade with nobody handed it to me either. And her perspective is from a financial one. She's coming. She had bad financial um, situation there and had to make choices that she preferred not to make, but she did. So for her, not having it handed to her is financial only. For Jade, it's much more than that. So yeah. there's white privilege right there. Yeah, I think that's very true. So Lacey May comes to the microphone and she starts a, a band, a group that are against this integration. She mm -hmm. welcomes them. It's at the end of the meeting. She says into the microphone, there's a bunch of us. We're putting together a march and we're not stopping there. She announces her name and then welcomes people to find her. And I'm laughing because it is laughable. It is one of those scenes that's so horrible and so over the top. I can't imagine what it would have felt like being her children watching her react that way. Well, Noel did not appreciate it. And it really exacerbated her problem with Noel. Yeah. Being such a racist and her daughter could see it. Yeah. I think that also what you're talking about, the idea that Lacey May um, doesn't see the white privilege of that moment and really wants to bring up the idea that her life was not easy, was not handed to her. That, for me, really relates to sort of the bigger issue of racism in America, that we tend to allow racism or that we tend to... Um, inspire racism on the idea of financial security. So we allow people in our society to harm others or to make people different, to make rules against them if it is financially better for some members of our society. Well, people, as a rule, do not like anything that is different from themselves. So they will take the position of I'm better than you and they will take it even to the point of physically harming someone of a different color or a different persuasion even to the point of death at times yeah which we have seen white privilege is something you don't even realize you have I mean they they take the position of no I don't have white privilege <laughs> because I'm poor well that's not true uh, that's that's why it's blind yeah but I think there are a lot of people, in what you're saying, there are a lot of people that wouldn't necessarily see their effort against the integration as racist because they are saying this is financially unfair to my family. Well, and limiting opportunities for their own children. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at how it could broaden their children's viewpoint of the world or help children of another color have a step up in the world yeah they're looking at only me myself and i mm -hmm. that's very true a few mo other moments that stood out to me there's a section in the book where g has a friend adira um, and she experiences a moment of harassment by a group of white students um, she tries to avoid the situation uh, it's when they put their hands on her that she stands up for herself. She does that very meekly, I would say. Um, and they use some slurs against her. Mm -hmm. That's how you denigrate another person so that makes you feel better about yourself, I suppose. 
Yeah. Another moment is when Lacey May is arguing with her second husband, Hank. This is a moment that really resonates with me, stands out to me. Uh, I think this is such a clear moment where Lacey May's racism is black and white. It's very obvious. Um, it's the first moment where she says to Hank, she's referring to Noelle's husband, Nelson, as uh, what her primary issue and problem with him is that he's black. Yes. It's the first moment where you really see her very clearly and probably the only moment where she clearly identifies my issue with this person is the color of their skin. Yes. Now, Noelle and Nelson both understand that's her issue. But that's the first time it's stated. Very true. There's another moment in the book where Jade, she's reflecting on periods in her life that have been challenging. She's, I think in that moment, she's thinking about some of her motivations as a mother. She's thinking about the times that she's been worried about G. And she thinks back to a time when she had been pulled over by the police with G in the car. She had a broken tail light. And there were uh, three police cars that had started trailing her. They turn the sirens on, they pull her over, and they force both of them to the ground. Over a taillight. Over a taillight, yes. I think that is a moment that really encompasses, for me, some of the issues that we've seen in the last just decade. Um, from Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, um, Mike Brown... We've had a lot of situations like that that have played out in really terrible ways and should have never happened. Uh, but we also, like the characters in this book, have a society that's split on whether it was right or wrong, or maybe not whether it was right or wrong, but whether it played out legally or illegally, morally or immorally. Yeah, that's white privilege in a nutshell. If you have to be afraid and constrain how you speak to a white person in fear of your life if you can't drive down the street with a broken taillight and not be put on the ground I mean that's white privilege right yeah. there whether you're poor or not you're not treated the same way I think each of these cases you and I have talked about as they occurred um, Ahmed is one that really sticks with me uh, because I'm a runner, and he was simply running in his neighborhood. In his own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So that those were the kind of the cases that were personally on my mind as I was reading this book, and, and that section, that's one of the reasons that section stands out so much to me. Um, Amanda Gorman, she recently posted on Twitter, this is something that was on my mind while I was reading through this book, she tweeted about her own experience. Um, you may remember she was the poet, uh, at Biden's inauguration, she tweeted that a security guard tailed her on her way home. Uh, she says, he demanded if I lived there because you, quote-unquote, look suspicious. I showed my keys and buzzed myself into my building. He left. No apology. This is the reality of black girls. One day you're called an icon, the next day a threat. Yep, and sad but true. I thought that was um, some, one of the reasons that really sticks out to me as I'm reading this book is that Amanda is someone that rose very quickly to awareness for Americans. And so when you have someone that's so quickly 
risen to positive attention but still experiences this experience and speaks their truth to that experience. It's, it's hard to deny. Mm -hmm. Another moment that sticks out to me um, is when Noelle is discussing her mother uh, toward the end of the book. So you brought up Ruth. Ruth is their neighbor mm -hmm. um, or their neighbor when they're younger. Um, so Noelle is discussing her, her mother's potential growth um, toward the end of the book. We don't quite know. We, even as the reader, don't get quite a clear resolution on where Lacey May is at the end of the book. Nope. Um, but in this moment, Noelle is talking to her ex-neighbor, Ruth, uh, and Ruth is very encouraging of Lacey May. She's kind of talking about the positive stride that Lacey May has made and her openness to her daughters and the partners that they've chosen. And Noelle says, sure but it's not quite the same and Ruth her reaction to that is a moment of disbelief you can uh, in the story uh, Naima writes Ruth smiled disbelievingly shook her head as if Noel had said something absurd and Noel takes this moment to really think about the people that are in her life and how unaware they are of the racism that surrounds them or the racist ways that they act towards people or even just the racist beliefs that they have. And she said, she's thinking she might not have believed it herself if not for Nelson. Maybe that was proof she really was white. She had to love him in order to see. Yeah. I think this is something that I definitely can relate to personally. Uh, my boyfriend is not white um, and I've had previous relationships with partners that were not white and all of those experiences over time have really taught me what it means to not be white in America. That you can very quickly be shut down just for the color of your skin um, or uh, if there's a language barrier, if English isn't your first language, um, how quickly people can kind of put you to the side not want to invest in you and, and not see you as a functioning member of society. Yeah, you have to get to know them and your perspective changes. I love Rohit, <laughs> so I don't see a problem there. <laughs> so Rohit is my boyfriend. Um, Rohit was on my mind in this section in particular because he is not American. He's a, a resident alien in America. And there are often times when I'm helping him deal with our government. So he'll need to get a driver's license um, or he'll need to get it updated. He's changing his address, things like that. Um, and I can very quickly see the person on the other side as they're assessing him. So they look at his skin color, they hear him talk, and you can physically see them shut down, um, which is just sad. And so that's typically when I step in to be the English speaker um, on his behalf and, and help kind of take some of those walls down. But mm -hmm. it's unfortunate because Rohit has a very good understanding of English. He has a very good grasp on English. I don't think you need a translator to talk to him, but nope. very, very quickly people tend to shut him down or put him to the side because of their assumptions, their racist assumptions about him. So let's go into another thing here. Um, let's talk a little bit about the motherhood parenthood because I'm a little interested in your opinion here on a couple things. Um, 
you had pulled up a list of kind of book club questions that we thought might be good inspiration for our episode. And in that, we had found a question that I think we both liked. Um, and it, it asked the question, the parents and children of what's mine and yours exist with a significant chasm between them. Discuss the ways that the Ventura daughters and G don't often see the motivations behind their parents' choices, nor the sacrifice. And how did it resonate with you in your own life? Well, I was a single mom, and I had to make a living, and I had to make sure you two turned out to be good people. <laughs> so, absolutely, it's you get busy in your life, and you're not always paying attention enough as they're growing up, and so you miss clues, and then that's how that chasm happens. Because you've got one perspective and your ch children have another perspective. And they're not looking at things the same way. And if you're not tuned in and picking up on all those clues, then you're not connecting. Yeah. I think many people in our lives would be surprised that you and I are making a podcast together. When I was a teenager, you and I probably spoke the least yes. in our lives. That was I was very busy. It <laughs> <laughs> was a period where we did very little talking, and on my <laughs> part, that was intentional. I really was putting a divider between us because, just like G, uh, I wasn't really seeing your perspective, or I maybe did see your perspective, but I was so focused on my own and so in my head about welcoming you into my experience and kind of the struggles that I was dealing with. I wasn't open and didn't feel like I could be open about those. There was a lot of insecurity for me at that time in my life. Um, I think that's something that children go through a lot is that they do have, whether they're gay or straight, no matter their race, no matter what kind of parent they have, whether it's a good parent or a challenging parent. Um, I think every child kind of goes through that moment where they're unsure about the person that they're becoming and how do they invite their parent to meet that person that they're becoming. Well, and kids have to distance themselves from parents in order to assert their independence and their self, their self-esteem. So there's a lot of that playing into that as well. Yeah. You were on my mind too as a child when I was thinking about this question because I know that your relationship with your parents was not always great when you were little. It was with mom. Dad was the problem. He was an alcoholic and he, it was often a problem Yeah. growing up. So that plays into it. But I just, uh, as a grown up, I decided that was not going to happen in my family and it hasn't. So I took a stand and, and said, it stops here. But it also gives you a control uh, aspect to your character. You want to be in control of everything. Growing up with an alcoholic, you think everything's your fault. You have to control all the things that can impact them and set them off so that they're mad at you or throwing a fit or being abusive. And so when you grow up like that, you do tend to have a, controlling aspect to your personality which also doesn't help with your relationship with your own children yeah 
I think that's an interesting point that you're bringing up because I can clearly see that in G. So mm -hmm. G is a person who does not relate to his mom. He can't really see why she is the way that she is. They don't have clear communication between one another. Um, but also, he doesn't know how to go to her and discuss that. He feels like she's a very controlling person. Uh, that really bothers him, it upsets him. He doesn't know who he wants to be, why he wants to be that way. He really lacks some guidance in that. He tends to feel like he wants to go in the opposite direction of whatever Jade is trying to guide him toward. Um, but sometimes he'll find that when he goes in that opposite direction, it's not the direction he should have gone in. And that Jade was maybe perhaps somewhat right in her guidance, but he can't. It's not in him to go to her and say, you were right about this, and, and I'm sorry, I should have listened to you. Um, I think that is a very interesting parallel. Yeah, he had no faithfulness either in his marriage. So he's, he was really messed up by his whole childhood and everything he had to deal with. Yeah. And a big part of that was seeing Ray shot and killed right in front of him. And we see that kind of play out physically for him because he grinds his teeth to mm -hmm. the point that he's ruining them. Mm -hmm. That's a big physical manifestation of the issues that he faces throughout the book and his lack of communication. So rather than communicating with Jade or, or the other people in his life, he's taking that out physically through his teeth. Yep. For Noel, Margarita, and Diane, they all deal with this problem in, in vastly different ways. So we see Noel kind of take that very controlling perspective where she has a life plan. Uh, it's structured down to the T. She's dotted all the I's and she has a clear vision for where she's going and how she's going to get there. She gets there. <laughs> Not too happy with where she's at. <laughs> right. So that's and a story as old as time, right? So life just doesn't play out the way that you imagine and even the best laid plans can surprise you. And she cut herself off from her family. She did. Probably from that controlling aspect that you're you're talking about mm -hmm. where they were so chaotic, so they brought so much chaos into her life that it was probably easier in her mind for her to let them go. Yep to not welcome that into her life. Mm -hmm. Margarita thrives on chaos. <laughs> so, but she also dabbles in drugs and everything else, too. Yeah, Margarita is definitely the, the opposite version of Chooses self-destructive behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then Diane, she lives a life that is... She lives a double life. She lives... She's a people pleaser. She's definitely a people pleaser. She tries to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Very rarely tries to ask for the things that she needs in her life or represent who she is to the people around her. She's hiding. She's definitely hiding. Let's see. Um, there was a moment where Jade is talking to G. He's very little at this point, And she says, you know I love you, right, little man? And as soon as she spoke, she realized it had come out all wrong. She should have just told him, gee, I love you. I really liked this part of the book because I thought it was such a great example of, of this very problem, of that lack of communication between the 
parent and the child um, because she's clearly identifying that what she said was not what she meant and that she sees that there was an alternate better path and she doesn't course correct herself. No, she doesn't. And you, as a parent, you have to be very clear and very consistent for your children. Yeah, I think I imagine that's a problem that is very easy to see yourself in that people do often probably choose the path that Jade chose where they recognize I could have said that better or I could have done that better but it's easier to just leave it as it is and hope that your child kind of sees through that and can make that assumption for you that that what you said and what you meant were not the same yes. what I did is whenever I erred I apologize to you boys so, I mean, I could be wrong, and frequently was, but when I recognized that, I always apologized. That's true. Sometimes it took you a moment to realize you It does could be take wrong. a while. <laughs> I do think that's another interesting component of that parent-child relationship is that I, as a child, always kind of thought, you know, parents really struggled with the idea that they could be wrong, that parents didn't want to be wrong didn't want to apologize, that it took so much effort to make a parent realize like, oh, my child actively sees the world around them and is a part of that world and can see errors are being made. Mm -hmm. At the book's end, how do you think each child relates to their parent? Well, I guess um, G did get to a more positive relationship with Jade. I wasn't happy with the way that ended. I thought she could have gone a little further with that. But as far as the Ventura girls, I'm not sure that they really resolved that relationship with their mother, but they did with each other. Yeah, I mean, And they did with Hank. They got to a better place with Hank, even. I would agree with that. I think Jade and G really came to not a full circle at the end, but you do see that at the end of the book, G is really coming forward and recognizing that Jade may have done a lot wrong, but she had motivations and she had reasons and that she was dealing with the same grief from Ray's death that he had been dealing with. And he starts to realize that she struggled to communicate that to him and mm -hmm. that maybe some of their issues are communication issues and not a lack of love. Mm -hmm. yep. I really enjoyed that part of the book. I think that is so interesting and that's a part of life that I think some parents and children miss out on is that reflection on what they've meant to one another and the mistakes that they've made and just kind of owning up to that and saying, let's move forward. I don't think that was as clear in that section of the book that they were making that pact and moving forward, but I think the assumption on the reader, it's safe to assume that that is the path that they were starting to go down. Yeah. Very interesting. And I think you're definitely right that the Ventura daughters, they seem to rely more on one another. I think toward the end of the book, they still realize that Lacey May is not a character that can be relied on. Um, and she's not one that's necessarily worth the investment to overhaul. 
she definitely didn't um, deal with her racism. She did in one form with Diane's partner, but as far as Nelson, she did not resolve that whatsoever. She was yeah. still very against him. Yeah, so Nelson is um, Noel's husband. He's black, and that is a, a big issue for Lacey May. Mm-hmm. I think the girls also got a better view of their own father, Robbie, too, by the mm-hmm. end of the book. Yeah. They had a more realistic view of him. Yeah, I think that just happens naturally for some children, right? Mm-hmm. So as you grow up, you start to, you stop idealizing the parent that you have and you start to realize that they're human too and you see your own errors in them or you can, you start to see the problems in your life and how they relate to the problems that your your parent would have faced. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I think the only other character that really uh, is still on my mind from how their relationship transformed with the people around them is Noelle, similar to her conversation that she was having with Ruth. It's very obvious that with Lacey May and even with her sisters and just the people around her, that she's still kind of struggling with how racism encompasses her. So she is white. Uh, I think she is struggling with how she plays into racism or has played into racism as well as is bothered by the racist opinions and beliefs of those around her and is questioning what that means about those people in her life and whether it's worth the effort to put work into fixing those issues. Well, and she also has a child, so she has to figure out how to mother. And her mother was not a great example. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see how that, if there were a sequel to the book. I would like to see a sequel. Yeah, because you have a lot of unanswered questions by the Mm -hmm. end of the book. Um, I think for that specific section, I think, is that the, that's not the last chapter, but there's a celebration at the, near the end of the book where you're introduced to Noelle's daughter. Diane and her partner were getting married. Diane at the reception. Diane and her same-sex partner, Alma, are getting married. Um, and you see Noelle's daughter for the first time. You're introduced to her daughter. And she talks about a little bit about the difficulty of, of what it means to be a mother. But she also closes on the idea that it is, it's terrible but perfect. Yeah. Well, and she's not financially um, secure either. She's... She's struggling financially and raising her daughter, but she's gone back to the work that she loves, too. Yeah, and I think that is another interesting parallel that we haven't really even brought up as a theme, but you see Noelle be challenged financially, living independently, but she's happy, Mm -hmm. unlike Lacey May. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of already talking about this theme of family and sibling relationships and how they relate to one another. Um, I think that would be a, a great thing for us to move on to. There's a moment when Noel and Diane are talking to one another that I thought really encompassed what it's like to be a sibling and, and the challenge of that, where Diane is really noticing uh, that Noel is holding back. And she's thinking to herself, when they, when they spoke on the phone, 
Noelle didn't share much about her life as if she couldn't trust Diane simply because they were blood. They had been close once, or at least that was what Diane remembered. Mm-hmm. So each, each person has a different perspective, even on their childhood. Mm-hmm. And I see that with my siblings as well. Yeah. And me with my sibling. Mm-hmm. And you each kind of live the same reality, but you take away a different view of that reality. Yep. I think that's very interesting. When I was in high school, I had gotten into an argument with my English teacher at the time. I I think I was in 10th grade, and this moment still sticks out to me. It's one that I think back to quite a bit because it just bothers me so much. Um, But I had written, uh, I think we had done kind of a book review, and I had just written about how each character lived in a different reality, and I was talking about the idea of multiple realities. At that time, I was closeted at home, and so I was uncomfortable coming out. Um, I was out to my friends, and so I was living different realities. I kind of knew I had a, I had one life at home, and I had one life with my friends, and then you have that societal life that you also live that's separate from that. So there are just different different realities there, but also different realities that the people around you are living. So your perception of me at that time was a whole different reality than I was Yes, living. it was. And um, I think that's kind of what I was writing about in that, that book review. And my teacher was so adamant. She got so upset. We weren't really angry at one another, but she, she totally disagreed and definitely struggled with the idea that there could be multiple realities. So her statement at the end of that whole ordeal, that whole argument was, there is one reality. Um, and I still, to this day, just don't really believe that's true. I think that many of the issues that we have as an American society is that we have so many different realities. Um, and some are based on your gender, some are based on your sexual orientation, some are based on your skin color. And that we have to have sympathy and empathy to see into those different realities. But for so many people, there has to be a reason to have that empathy and sympathy to look into those realities. For me, whenever I'm confronted with something like that, I always think, we all came from Noah. After the flood, there was only Noah and his family. We all came from the same seed. So why try to think you're better than someone else? Well, you as a Christian, that's kind of your opinion that Mm -hmm. we all are of a similar tribe and why should we exclude one another? I think for me, my experience is very different from that, that people do not recognize that we are living on this world together and that we don't necessarily have reasons to work together, but we have many reasons to work against one another and fight. Well, you know, I I told you what I think, and it's not that that's the way it is. That's the way it should be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Another moment in the book that stands out to me about family and and the sibling relationships, there's a, a point where the Ventura daughters are, they're each at different moments in their life. They're living very different lives from one another Mm -hmm. and they're not inviting one another into that. 
So we have Noelle, she's hiding the challenge of her marriage to a largely absent and distant husband. She's considering divorce. It's clear she's on the path to divorce and it's not a path she wants to be on, um, but she's not confiding that into her sisters. You have Margarita who is hiding that she's really struggling in her career, um, that she is financially insecure to the point of being evicted, um, doesn't really know where her next paycheck will come from. And she's choosing to instead talk to no one about this, but showcase that she's living a very glamorous life via social media. So she's a social influencer slash model. And so she's living a very different life online than the, the one that she lives in reality, in her reality. And then you have Diane who is hiding her same sex partner relationship from her family. Mm -hmm. I think those are three very distinct paths. Those are paths that almost every American can lump themselves into in one way or another. Um, is there anything that sticks out to you about those relationships? Noel, the oldest, is the one who extended the olive branch and told her sisters that they could mend their own relationship. Yeah, there's a point in the book when Noel is arguing with both of her sisters um, and she tries to raise a white flag and say let's move on from this interesting we can have our own family yeah we can be our own family but interestingly that's also a moment where diane takes takes something for herself and decides to really tell them who she is that she has a same-sex partner um, and that that is the way her life is Yep, and she left them there. She leaves them. <laughs> She's done with them at that point. I thought that was really interesting. So Noelle is trying to make peace, and Diane is saying, I'm really tired of you two, and this is who I am, and if you don't like it, I don't care. I'm leaving you. Mm -hmm. hmm. But they got beyond it. They did. Let's see. So I think that takes us um, into the theme of gay rights. So we've kind of already touched on Diane and Alma. Throughout the book, Diane is really struggling to bring Alma into her family life. Um, I think in many ways she sees that it's maybe not worth the trouble. She doesn't see her family changing, at least Lacey May not changing. That's definitely the biggest deter for Diane coming forward about who she is and the life she wants to live. Um, but they do find their way toward that, so Diane does come out to her family toward the end of the book and they're having the celebration, and Diane turns to Alma and says, tonight is better than it has any right to be. Uh, and the chapter reads, and Alma had a furrowed, furrowed her eyebrows and says, what are you talking about? We've got every right. I think that's um, another really big struggle that sticks out to me from this book, is that Alma is clearly living from a point of view where she's saying, this is who I am, I don't care if people know this, and I want people to know this. This is this is a good part of my life, and it needs to be a positive thing. And Diane's coming from a point where I don't think she's ashamed of who she is, but she sees that it's not easy. She's trying to hold on to her family. She's spent her whole life trying to hold on to her family, and they haven't given her much reason to hope. Yeah. 
I think there is a question from the list that you had pulled up about book club questions, and it had specifically asked about ways that Diane has played into racism or played into racist opinions and ideas, which I thought was interesting because I know for me that just because you are a part of the LGBTQ identity, um, that you aren't naturally going to find yourself being equal rights for everyone, that you're, that doesn't mean you're a feminist, and that doesn't mean that you're not racist, um, even though, from my perspective, you would have more empathy and sympathy for those, in those situations, that minorities should help other minorities, because they know what it's like to be excluded and, and forced out. Um, but, do you see Diane playing into any racist ideas throughout the book? Well, no. I don't see her having racist ideas. But she and Margarita were both darker in hue than Noel, And so maybe she experienced some of it growing up. It didn't really bring it out in the book, I didn't think. Yeah. I also didn't see a ton of that in the book. And I may have just missed it through the reading, but... Um, I imagine that that question could be asking about how Diane actually gives excuses for everyone throughout the book. That's true. She's a people pleaser, so she would try to <laughs> smooth over the racism of her mother and everybody else. Yeah. In, in that way, yes. And I think that's something that, when I was telling you, that moment that Noel's having with Ruth, why that sticks out so much to me is just as you're saying, Diane takes every opportunity to kind of throw things under the rug and not see things the way that they are. Um, that's kind of where I see a lot of people in America living, that they see that there's a problem for black people or people of color, um, but they don't want to do the work of recognizing it publicly, that they aren't invested in finding a solution. And many of them are benefiting from that exclusion and so they're not ready to move forward and make amends it's a big problem and people it's hard to see it yeah so there is one theme in this book that is completely missing and that is the pandemic um this book ends february 2020 so it concludes a month before the world health organization actually announces covid19 as a worldwide pandemic so that kind of begs the question how do you think these characters would have fared throughout the pandemic? I think Lacey May would have just bulldogged her way into being just the same way before the pandemic. But I think the Ventura girls would have adapted to connecting techno technologically and doing what they needed to do as far as masks and, and social distancing. I don't see Lacey May going for that. Jade, I see Jade dealing with that in the right manner. So Jade was definitely the more science-based mother yes. out of the two. Yes. I definitely agree with you. I think Jade would have believed in the science that was coming out at the time, would recognize that science is advancing, and so the more studies that are done, the more research that's done, the more answers that you have, and so she would have adapted to the times. Um, I think it's hard to believe that Lacey May would have fared well in the pandemic. I see Lacey and Hank as being 
COVID deniers. <laughs> yeah, COVID deniers, but also possibly at risk. I mean, they both worked in a grocery store. They were the managers of a grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't have contracted COVID-19. Lacey May's health is declining toward the end of the book, so it's unlikely she would have, you would imagine. And if, you, if you're if you lying there with cancer, I would think you would be more reflective and figuring out what you, what horrible aspects of your personality there are. <laughs> And trying to make amends with people. Yeah, so that's a point of the book we haven't really discussed. But Lacey May, toward the end of the book, is is questioning whether she has cancer. Doctors are coming to her, and they're trying to identify what her root issue is. Um, and you're right. She doesn't really take the moment to explore, okay, well, what kind of life did I live? And what could I be doing better? Or what apologies do I need to give? Instead, she really wants to she does want to surround herself with her family. She calls for all of them to be there, and that's a, a key issue in the book, is that they're all kind of juxtaposed next to each other, and they've spent all this time prior putting so much distance between themselves, and so they have to face their inner demons because of the closeness of the situation. Um, but she also very much just wants to see Robbie. Yes, he's the only place that I see where she was reflective was her relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because toward the end she recognizes that their relationship was not perfect, but it was perfect for her. It was mm -hmm. the relationship that she wanted, and she wholly, entirely accepted him, even for his flaws, which is interesting because that's not something she's willing to do for other people. Mm -hmm. hmm. And she gave him up in order to provide for for her girls. Yeah. And they never saw that. Nope. It's hard to imagine where G would be. Um, he, at the time of the book, he spent a lot of his time in Paris. I think in the conclusion summary, he was going back to Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and so he would have found himself unable to get back into America. Or if he did, he would have just barely gotten back into America. And so he would have really been dealing with it from a side that we haven't seen. Even our media hasn't really covered a lot of Europe's experience with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So that's a big question mark. Hmm. Um, it's hard to imagine that Lynette would have fared well. Lynette was living with Jade and G. Um, she was a close friend to the family and acted in many ways kind of like a grandmother to G. Um, I imagine she would have contracted COVID-19 and passed away. Elderly lady, yes. Mm -hmm. hmm. Oh, speaking of the pandemic, so in another interview that Naima had done, she did reference that she had planned for the book to go further into 2021, or I think right up to 2021, and she said she mentally just did not have the headspace to deal with the pandemic as a writer. Um, she wasn't prepared to take her characters through that. Um, and so she that's the reason it ends right right at February 2020 before the pandemic occurs. But she originally had planned to take it much further. Yeah, I could tell that <laughs> with the last page. 
because I felt like it was just cut off and not resolved. <laughs> so you would have liked to have seen more and really explored what else was happening to these characters because at the end, you are seeing some of them are starting to make better connections with one another and that they're starting to go through a healing process. Mm-hmm. But there, there would have been more to that. So, like I said, I would like to see a sequel. <laughs> Not that I liked the first one, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but maybe I would like the second right. one if well, everybody got their act together. <laughs> you know, I would challenge you and I would say if you were interested in reading the second, the sequel, that you found something interesting about the first one. So maybe you enjoyed it more than you thought you did. I did not enjoy it, <laughs> but <laughs> I could relate. <laughs> All right, well, this is our first time reading a book by Naima. Um, so overall, we should probably talk about her as a writer and author. What did you think about her writing style? I liked, I liked it. I mean, I, could, I was immediately interested in reading it. And when I read a book, it's like watching a movie. So if the author is good, the movie is immediate. And that was the case with her. Yeah, I would agree. I think this was very much like a movie and that it was very easy to visualize the scenes that she was creating. So that's I felt, a good author. I felt very immersed into the world she was creating, and I think that's a hard thing for a lot of writers to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Naima, in an interview, she had said she's not interested. In, did we talk about this? That she's not interested in making things easier for my characters. Um, which might sound harsh to say, but I think that that's partially because life can be really hard and brutal, and I'm interested in fiction that testifies to that reality. Yeah, and I am interested in (laughs) fiction that gives me escape. Right. Not brutal. We should mention that you are retired. Yes. Happily. Yes. And so you would like to spend more of your time reading about other people happily living their lives. Or at least, you know, turning the corner and becoming a better person. (laughs) (laughs) Which we did get some of, but to your point, not a great deal of. There wasn't a lot to really surmise toward the end about exactly where these characters were going. Hmm. I would have liked to have seen the integration school meeting be more of a welcome than what it devolved into. Mm -hmm. That was one big piece of the whole story that I really did not like. Yeah. I think for me, though, that was very realistic. Um, Well, yes, it's realistic. I just didn't like it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm tired of people being that way. Yeah. (laughs) I would agree. Okay, so final kind of closing questions here. Um, Now that we've kind of talked about all of the book's themes and their characters, and I think maybe you're seeing... A few good things about the book, more than you did before we discussed it. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a character that stands out to you the most, or one that you ha- identify with? I identified with the mothers, but it doesn't mean I cared about them. <laughs> but I liked Ray, and she, they killed him off right at the beginning. <laughs> That's true. That was your first gripe. I remember getting your text message. He's a baker. <laughs> He was a nurturer, Mm -hmm. and he took care of people. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I liked Ray. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I personally saw myself 
in a lot of these different characters. Not that our struggles were the same, um, but that I had empathy for their situations because I found that I had personally been in similar situations. Um, so with Margarita, you know, I think seeing your dad be someone that can be disappointing and that will not be a, a full figure in your life, that's something I easily relate to. Um, for Diane, not knowing when to come out to her family and being comfortable in that space and being herself, having that full identity of herself, that's something I really related to. And for Noelle, I think I really related to her experience seeing the racism around her, sometimes even in herself, and not knowing A, how to go about fixing that, B, constantly thinking about how those around her can be racist or hold racist opinions and, and what that means about their value. Mm -hmm. um, and for G, largely different experiences for G and I, um, but I do know what it's like to live in a reality that's different than the one that society expects of you, that your family maybe expects of you, and not really sure who you want to be and kind of being unsure in the in-between of what people want from you and what you want from yourself. Yep. Who you're going to be. Yeah. Well, overall, would you recommend this book? I guess so, because <laughs> it makes you think about our culture in America today and and what your part is in resolving some of it. Yeah. I don't think this was an easy read by any means. I nope. think I think that Naima is a great author. I really enjoyed her writing style. I think she brings a lot to the table that other authors maybe lack in some ways. Um, but to your point, this is definitely a book that brings up all the issues that we've been dealing with even before the pandemic. And the pandemic definitely has not made it easier. Nope. I think the pandemic really highlights a lot of these issues because the people that find themselves challenged in these situations struggle the most during times of hardship. It just magnifies the inequality of America. Um, and so this was not just a hard book, I think, to read from that perspective of reading people be challenged in their life, but also your reading that in a time that you're extremely challenged and so finding the energy just to read about other people's trials and their problems that can be hard so well plus i'm retired i want to be happy <laughs> i would like to read happy things <laughs> well i'm sure our next book will be much happier <laughs> but i do want to say thank you again thank you for doing this podcast with me and thank you for taking the time to read this book with me well thank you for initiating a book club which i have missed <laughs> <laughs> read the book and grow that's true um, we definitely encourage you to take the time to read this book it was definitely an interesting read um, not an easy read but definitely an interesting read it, it will leave you with many questions and, and thoughts about the world around you and that's always a good thing or normally that's a good thing mm -hmm. Yep. so we encourage you to definitely take time to read what's mine and yours we really want to give a shout out to naima costa and her writing thank you so much this was a, a 
eye-opening experience. <laughs> An eye-opening read, for sure. We really appreciated it. And again, um, thank you for joining us on our very first episode of Cam and Rue Start a Book Club. Rue, do you want to remind everybody what we're reading next? Running with Sherman by Christopher McDougall. That one, I promise, Rue promises will be a much lighter read, definitely lighter themes. And so we're looking forward to that in the next episode. So we hope we'll see you there. Yep. I did forget. Let's see. So I asked somebody to send you a message for this podcast because I know this can be kind of a nerve-wracking thing to do. You're definitely putting yourself out there for a podcast and I just asked somebody to take some time to give you some encouragement so I'm going to play that really quickly. Hey Rue, can't wait to hear this podcast. I'm excited that you're doing this book club. Good idea, Cameron. All right, love you. Bye.